You are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. This morning, I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word, however you access that, whether it is uh, by your phone or, or if you've got a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen as well. And let's go to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to continue through our series in 1 John that we have entitled just Prove It, because John is really saying, here's how you can know that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We are going to read this morning verses 1 through 11. And whenever we read a kind of a a chunk of scripture like this, we like to stand to honor the reading of the word of God, because this is a way for us to just say, this is his word, it's not our word. And so when we come to the Bible, we come to his word, we recognize its authority in our lives as the very word of God. So pick up with me in verse 1. John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Father God, we want to ask this morning that we see the light and the truth of your word. Father, we want to just ask this morning that you would open our minds to understand the word of God. We invite the Holy Spirit into our presence this morning, recognizing his presence here with us, helping us to apply the word of God into our lives so that, Lord, we may live for you. We may honor you. We may worship you with the breath and the life that you give us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, um, some of you are of the age where you go to the doctor every year for a a physical, for a, a checkup. You know, the purpose of going for that physical yearly checkup is to kind of check your levels to see how you're doing. Maybe to see here's where your blood pressure is or your cholesterol level is. And sometimes the doctor may say, look, you've got to adjust a few things. Don't eat much, you know, as much salt, knock out the fatty foods, maybe start walking, exercising more. You know, you got to bring these levels down. And what the doctor's doing is he's giving you a new way of living. You're saying you've got to adjust some of your lifestyle. Well, when you think about what John's doing, John is writing a group of Christians in Asia Minor that he's saying here is a new way of living. The old you is gone. Now you're new in Jesus Christ, and here's how you are to live. 
Now, one of the questions then posed to John and at this time was, well, how do I know if I am in Christ? How do I know if I'm a Christian, if I'm saved? And so John says, all right, I'm going to pin this letter and I'm going to let you know, here's what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so what he does is throughout the letter, and you're going to kind of see it this morning in the section I just read, is there's three tests that John gives. He's going to give you a doctrinal test. All right, and the doctrinal test is here's what you need to believe about Jesus in order to be a Christian. He's going to give you a moral test. All right, here's how morally you're to live. And then third, there's an ethical test, how you're to treat other people. And so what John's going to get out, if you kind of take notes or maybe you jot things down in your Bible, here's really what he's going to be hammering home for us this morning, is a growing faith and a growing obedience is proof of a life being transformed by Jesus. Okay, I'll, I'll say it again. A growing faith and a growing am, uh, obedience is proof of a life that is being transformed by Jesus. All right, so let's kind of take that first test together this morning. This doctrinal test that John gives us in verse 1, he says, my little children. And what he's doing there is it's really a term of endearment he uses seven times in the letter. John is in his uh, probably 90s at this point. So he's been a believer in Christ for a long time, and he's writing new Christians. So he's just saying, hey, my little children. All right, so he's showing his love, his care for them. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. All right, well, you and I read that and we think, well, that's impossible. We know we all still sin. You know, yes, we do as Christians, right? We, we covered that last week. We, we still have an old sin nature that we battle at times. And so we still sin. And what was the good news last week of when we still sin? Well, verse 9 of chapter 1 says, when we still sin, if we confess our sins, then it is Christ who's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Okay, so when you still sin, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there's still good news, still hope. You confess it, Christ cleanses you and forgives you of your sin. So John's saying in verse 1, not that you can be sinless, but you can learn as a Christian how to sin less. Right? And so he says, hey, I'm writing this to you so that you can learn how to sin less in your life. And then he gives you good news in verse 2, because he says, in this Christian life, we need somebody. We need a helper. We need somebody on our side. And so at the end of verse 1, he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right, and that term advocate, uh, it, it means helper, right? Your translation may have helper down there. The, the term in the Greek is paraclete. Right? So he's your advocate. He's your helper. Jesus is someone who comes alongside of you in your life and encourages you. Um, all right, so you can slip your hand up on this. Audience participation. You've, you've heard of Abraham Lincoln, all right? Everybody heard of Abraham Lincoln, Okay. Abraham Lincoln, remember, uh, April 14th, 1865, he goes to which theater? Ford's. Ford's. All right, there we go. Watching the play, and a guy by the name of John Wilkes, okay, takes out a gun, and he shoots Abraham Lincoln. He dies the next day, April 15th, 1865. In Lincoln's pocket when he dies were five things they found. 
right? Think about what's in your pocket right now. You may have keys, cell phone, you know, debit cards, credit cards, maybe a tissue or something. If you're a mom, you've got like a purse full of everything, right? I mean, mom's purses are like bottomless pits, aren't they? Like here's a, you know, here's candy, here's a Bible, here's tourniquets. I mean, just like everything comes out of mom's purses, right? You know, jackhammer, whatever you need, your mom's got it. But in Abraham's Lincoln's pocket were five things when he died. A handkerchief, eyeglasses, a $5 bill. Uh, There was a pocket knife. And the fifth thing he had was a newspaper clipping. And this newspaper clipping, and let me get this guy's name right, was written uh, by a guy by the name of John Bright. And in this article that Lincoln had clipped out and saved and carried around with him in his pocket, in that newspaper article, John Bright said, Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men in the whole world. Now stop and think about this contextually with me, okay? This is Civil War time. You got, you know, states full of people in the South who do not like you and hate your guts. You got people in the North that don't like you and hate your guts. You got people in your own political party who do not like you and hate your guts, right? So you got all these people around you that don't like you. You got your own family problems. You have your own personal problems. You have your own issues you're struggling with. And so I can imagine Lincoln carrying that around with him in his pocket and from time to time opening it up and reading. He goes, man, somebody's on my side, Somebody likes me somebody's for me. Guess what? Jesus Christ is your paraclete. He's your helper as a believer in him. He goes with you wherever you go. He doesn't, he's not in your pocket. He's right there in your heart. He's in your life. And he says, look, I'm your advocate. I'm helping you. I'm for you. I'm on your side. And notice what this advocate does for us in verse 2. He says, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. If you have an NIV translation, the NIV takes propitiation for our sins and says he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, the word propitiation, I know that's a long one, and I try to stay away from words bigger than mayonnaise, but this is one of them. You know, and and propitiation is kind of easy to understand because everybody has a concept of propitiation, okay? Propitiation means to appease, right? To satisfy, right? That's what propitiation is, to bring appeasement, to satisfy. Now, every major religion has within it the concept of propitiation. Every culture on this planet has that concept. So the concept of propitiation for a lot of religions is going to be this God we worship is angry. We have to do something to appease him, to satisfy him, to, to make him not ha- uh, angry at us anymore and make, us ha- and make him happy. Right? So maybe we're going to bring an offering. Maybe that's a human sacrifice. Maybe it's an offering of an animal. Maybe it's a, you know, a tithe offering, uh, money. We're going to do whatever we got to do to make this God who's angry at us satisfied and happy at us again. Now, here's the difference, and it's a big fundamental difference. 
The rest of the world thinks that way. Christianity says we don't appease God. We don't appease God in His wrath against us. Because understand, God, yes, is love, but God is also a God of wrath. It's a just wrath. It's a fair wrath. God will judge sin, and God will judge sinners who don't come to Christ. I mean, that, that's just what the Bible says in John three thirty six. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So now, wait a minute. How do I get God's wrath off of me in my life then as a non-Christian? See, all the other major religions would say, you've got to do it. You've got to figure out how to make God not mad at you anymore. You've got to figure out how to appease Him. Christianity says, God says, you can't do that. I do that. I appease my own wrath. I satisfy my own wrath. How did he do it? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So when Christ died on the cross, our sin goes to him, the wrath of God goes on him, and God says, that appeased me. That satisfied me. I love the way John Stott put it, a theologian of old. He says, this is what separates us from other religions. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. So Christ is our advocate. Christ is our propitiation. But notice who's this for. What is the way verse 2 ends? Who is that work for? It says in the end of verse 2, not for ours only, but for the whole sins of the world. So does that mean everybody's saved? No. Right? That, that would be universalism. We say you've got to confess Christ as your Savior. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right? So what John means at the end is when it says Christ, he is the propitiating work for all the sins of the world, is that not everybody saved, but that anyone can be saved. Because of what Jesus has done, anyone can find life in him. Anybody can find salvation. So as we close kind of the doctrinal test this morning, what do you believe about Jesus? What, what are you thinking about Jesus in your mind today? Because now John is going to shift and he's going to give us a new test to take. And this test is the moral test. And, and let's read verses 3 through 6 again. He says, And by this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And notice at the beginning of verse 3, John in this moral test is saying, here's how you know, you know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And ask yourself that question this morning. How do you know you're a believer? 
If someone said to you, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with my faith, I'm struggling of whether or not I'm a believer in Jesus or not, how do you know you're a believer? How should I know if I'm a believer in Jesus? I mean, if your, your child walked up to you today and asked you that question, or maybe your, your grandchild walked up to you and said, you know what, I really want to be sure about this. How do I know that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ? What would you tell them? Some of you may say, well, when did you pray to receive Christ? Or maybe when did you get baptized? Or did you take a confirmation class or a membership class? Some people may answer the question and say, you know what, look, I know I'm a believer in Jesus. I've been in church all my life. J.D. Greer, in his book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, says it this way. He says, surveys show that more than 50% of people in the United States have prayed a sinner's prayer, and they think they are going to heaven because of it, even though there is no detectable difference in their lifestyles from those outside of the church so how do you know what does john say what does john say in the word of god in verse three what does john say he says i'm writing this and we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments or your translation may say obey his commandments there's your test of salvation Are you keeping the word of God? Do you strive to obey the commandments? Jesus says, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John says later in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So John's saying it this way, to know God is to love God. To love God is, is to obey God. To know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. So you think in your moral test, how are you doing when it comes to Scripture? How are you doing with the commandments? How are you doing obeying God? Because what does he say in verse 4? Whoever says, I know him, I'm a believer, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Truth's not in him. This is a moment in time where some of you are looking at me and you're thinking, man, I really love to have Lee's job and have to stand in front of people and read verse 4. This is a moment where we would switch gladly, right? This is hard to hear. This is hard to say. Because you know people who would say, you know what, I, I prayed to receive Christ at 8. And at 38, they've had nothing to do with Jesus in the last 30 years of their life. And it's hard to go over texts like this and in verse 4 say, you know what? They probably have never truly known Christ as their Savior. But let's be very, very careful as we share the gospel, as we give counsel to people, not to just always run them back to a point in time where they made a decision. Instead, let's do what John's doing and let's say, you know what, let's look at your life right now. Let's look at where you are. 
Are you obeying Jesus? Do you strive to do that? Do you love Jesus? Is there a detectable difference of lifestyle in your life? And if there's not, then let's return you back to the good news of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that if you confess your sin, it is Christ that's faithful and just to forgive you of all your unrighteousness. Because what's John getting at? In this moral test, if there's no difference in the lifestyle, If you're not seeking to obey His commands, then you need to take a hard, fast look to see if you're really one who knows Jesus. Because what does He say in verse 6? He says, Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that word walk means there to live. So whoever says, I abide in Jesus, then He should live like Jesus called him to live. And that that word abide means to remain. That word abide means to persist. That that word abide means to live in. So if I'm persisting in Jesus, I'm growing in Jesus, then, then I know Jesus. That's the test of knowing Him. See, understand it this way, if you will. Religion says, I obey minus faith. That was kind of the Pharisees of Jesus' day. I have obedience minus faith. Cultural Christianity that I'm afraid a lot of American churches are wrapped up in and, and a lot of Christians and Americans will say this, I have faith but no obedience. But notice what John's saying is faith and obedience, they go hand in hand. Right? Think about it as walking. You take the right step of faith and you follow it up with the left step of obedience. They go simultaneously with each other. If there's faith, there's obedience. As faith grows, obedience grows. As obedience grows, faith grows. Right? You, you don't have one without the other. Faith and obedience go together. You know, this past week on Facebook, I asked a question. I said, what is a combination of food that goes well together? So, so what are some foods that go together? Some of you already think about this in your mind because you're already getting hungry and I'm going to list out some more foods and you're welcome because you may get a little more hungrier. Now, I had 106 comments, so I'm not going to read out all of the combinations I was giving. Some of you gave some great ones. Some of you, wow, we will talk on, go back and read. It's a good read. Just find me on Facebook and find that question. Here's some that I got. Peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and chocolate, Biscuits and gravy, one of my favorites. Shrimps and grits. French fries and a Wendy's Frosty. Amen? All right, some of you have not tried that, but wow. Do yourself a favor. French fries and a Wendy's Frosty. Grilled cheese and tomato soup. Beans and rice. Chili and Fritos. That's a staple in my house. And then I love what Dave Jenkins, one of my friends, said. Bacon and bacon. Right? (laughs) Faith and obedience is just like that good food combination you want to sit down with. Because faith and obedience works hand in hand. And you know, it's amazing to me if you've ever studied or heard how icebergs move. And I know sometimes icebergs are in our news for melting and all that, that fun stuff. But an iceberg is, it's amazing the way it moves. Because see, an iceberg can be floating against the wind. So as the wind's blowing one direction, the iceberg's moving right against that wind. Why? Because if you think about it and you look at this picture we got up on the screen, where's the depth of the iceberg? It's below the water, right? 
you only see what we say is the tip of the iceberg. It's the wind that's catching the tip of the iceberg. The current is moving the iceberg at the depth of the iceberg. So think of faith and obedience this way. As your faith in Christ grows, as your obedience in Jesus grows, as that love grows, that's maturing you, that's growing your depth of obedience. It's growing your depth of faith. It's growing your depth of the love of God. So now that it's God's love that's the current that's pushing you as a believer against the winds of the world. So the more you obey, the more faith you have, the more love you have, the more maturity you have. Verse 5, John saying the, your love's going to grow, your maturity, your, your, your growing in your faith, and now it's God's current that's moving you against the winds of the world. Our final test this morning is an ethical test. It's a test this morning of how we love and treat one another. John says in verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is shining. That's John's way of saying essentially what I'm writing and about to go over is nothing new. You can find it all the way back in the Old Testament in Leviticus. I'm just writing this to you now to remind you. And here's what he says. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother and abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The ethical test that John's laying before you this morning is to say, can you say you're a believer in Jesus Christ and hate other people? Can you say you love God and hate people? John says no. John clearly says there that if you do that, you don't have the light. That you're walking in darkness. Verse 11, if you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. You're not showing evidence of being a Christian. You're walking in darkness. You're living in darkness. And sadly, you do not know where you are going because darkness has blinded your eyes. The church, first church I pastored was in Hollister, North Carolina. It was in eastern North Carolina, a big farming tobacco community. Uh, we, the, the town was a whopping 600 people, right? We had a caution light in town. We didn't even have a stoplight in town. We lived in the parsonage that the church had. We lived on Main Street. Let me tell you about Main Street. We had a post office and four houses. That's Main Street, right? First night, Sandra and I are there in the house. Um, we don't have kids yet. It's just us. We didn't have night lights. We didn't think that far ahead. So we turned out the lights when it was time to go to bed. We failed to realize, being from the city, that there's no street lights out on the street. We were in darkness. Like, put your hand that close to your face, you know, it's close to your nose, can't see your hand, darkness. You ever been there? We lay there, we're like, okay, tomorrow's agenda, go to Walmart, 30 minutes away, and get some night lights. Because we won't be able to find our way in darkness. That's what John's getting at. If you say as a believer in Jesus Christ, I love God, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian, 
but I hate this group of people. I hate this person. I'm not forgiving this person. Then you need a new lifestyle. You need to realize that you're in darkness. You're, you're showing darkness in your life. You're living in darkness. The darkness has blinded you to the goodness and the forgiveness and the love of God. You know, one of the most painful appointments you can make is when those test results come back in from the doctor, right? You've done the physical. The doctor calls you and says, I got your results. Come meet me in my office. And those are the ones where we go, eh, I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> but you come in, you sit down, and she pulls out your results. Your blood pressure's up. Cholesterol level's bad. You know, we found this. This is showing up not good. And what does they do? All right, make some adjustments. Here's the adjustments we're calling you to make. This morning, as the Holy Spirit has invited you into the office of His Word, and the doctor, Mr. Holy Spirit, sits down with you today, and he goes over that doctrinal test, do you really believe in Jesus? Are you really confessing Him today as the Lord and Savior of your life? Do you understand Jesus today as your advocate? He is the propitiation for your sins. As He's gone over the results of that moral test with you, how are you doing when it comes to the Word and obeying the commands of the Bible? How are you doing when the ethical test results are laid out before you by the Holy Spirit? And He says, look, this hate, this unforgiveness has got to go. What are the adjustments the Holy Spirit right now this morning as you read through that text and think about those three tests in your life are calling you to make? What do you need to stop today? What do you need to start today? Because an evidence of a life that is being transformed by Jesus is a life that is growing in faith and a life that's growing in obedience. So this morning, I'm going to invite you here to pray. You can pray right where you are. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and we'll have folks that are down front who will be happy to pray with you and pray for you. I'm going to invite you to come today. I invite you to pray. You can pray by yourself down on the steps. Maybe you want to bring somebody who you came with and said, hey, I want to pray about this. Maybe as a family you want to come and pray. Whatever the Holy Spirit's calling you to do today, to adjust today, to stop today, to start today, to say make this adjustment in your lifestyle, you make that. You respond to the way the Holy Spirit's calling you to respond. Maybe today is to say, look, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Then today you give your life to Christ. Maybe it's to say, you know what, I, I've never done what Wyatt and Chad did as a believer in Jesus Christ. I need to take that step of faith and publicly profane my faith in baptism. Then you let us know that. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can see in the Word of God that a growing faith and a growing obedience is evidence of a life that is being transformed by Jesus. And so, Father, as we move through that doctrinal test today, I, I pray for those that have yet to place their faith in Christ, truly, to come to know Jesus. Lord, I, I pray this morning in the moral portion of the test. Lord, help us not to just be cultural Christians where we say we have faith but no obedience. Help us to obey what you're calling us to do. And Lord, in the ethical test, Father, help us to love other people. 
Help us to love people that maybe don't look like us or share the same political views as we do or, or speak differently. Lord, help us to erase hate out of our heart and unforgiveness and, and just love as you call us to love and as we've been loved by you. So, Lord, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people that are here. They, they made time out of their day to be together and to worship you. And so, Lord, I pray that together we may honor you, love you, and in these final moments of our service, Lord, respond in the manner and the way you called us to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org slash give.